Maybe you uh, have heard the story about the guy who got a call from his wife as she was uh, traveling. Uh, she was abroad traveling through Europe and she called uh, just to, to, to check in and make sure everything's all right. And she called her husband and, her, and uh, as they're talking, she said, how's my cat doing? And the husband said, oh, um, he's dead. Sorry, Tony, but dead cats, that's not, anyway. And, and the, the lady was like, why did you tell me like that? What, don't you know you should break it to me gently? And the guy was like, he's kind of clueless, and he's like, what, what do you mean? And, and she said, well, you could, have, you could have told me, oh, well, he's up on the roof. And then when I called you from Paris, you, you could have said that he was acting sluggish. And then, then when I called you from London, uh, you could have said that, that he was, was sick. And then when I was uh, uh, on my way home, you, you could have said that you had to take him to the vet and had to leave him there because things were going, uh, didn't look very good. And then when I landed and you were face to face, you could have said that he didn't make it and that he had died. And the husband listened to her advice and vowed that he would do better next time and so they continued to talk and and uh, catch up on everything and then uh as the conversation was winding down uh the the, the wife uh, asked uh, by the way honey uh, how's mom doing and there was this long pause and then he said um she's on the roof not sure if that is an example of what Paul wrote in Ephesians 4:15 uh where he said we need to speak the truth in love uh, I'm, I'm thinking that we're going to find, as we, uh, we look at that truth and how it's spelled out in the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, there's a little more to it than just breaking it to people gently. Uh, it, it's been six weeks. All through the season of Lent, we've been learning about real love, about God's kind of love. Um, this is how God wants us to love and how he wants us to operate in our relationships. Um, we should be patient and we should be characterized by these things. As in our relationships, we should be characterized by being patient, by being kind, by, by not being selfish or rude. But last week, we, we got real practical talking about how, how forgiveness and love go together and, and how we need to forgive uh, and, and what that might look like. And we've looked at all those, uh, all those things. Today, we're going to look specifically at the last couple of, of verses in this, uh, in this section in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. Um, there are some analog versions of the Bible uh, located under your chairs or may, uh, around the, uh, the uh, uh, sanctuary, and you're more than welcome to grab one of those. Or if you have a device, you can pull up the, uh, the scripture. It will not be on the jumbotron behind me, but that might even be better. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 4, and we're going to read verse 4 through the first part of verse 8. Uh, once again today, maybe you can quote it by now. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. That, that, that last verse there uh, has some, uh, it just keeps, uh, I mean, it's almost like scattershot, just keeps pouring out these, these uh, great characteristics of love. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. Uh, uh, look at that, 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 that word always, it's, uh, it's, it's an important one there and it's repeated over and over again. Always protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. Uh, I looked up that word always in the Greek this week and, and do you know what it means? Always, like all the time, like it doesn't stop, 
like it keeps on going, like there aren't any exceptions, uh, that, that it's like, you know, it means what it says. It's not that I'm going to tell you this obscure little thing that this, uh, in the Greek, it really means. It, it always, love always does these things, always. To sum it up, I guess, uh, what does love always do? Um, love always wants what's best for the people in our lives. Um, uh, protecting, trusting, hoping, persevering. God's brand of love, this might be your first blank. You're gonna have to just catch up because I don't know that I'm gonna keep, the, keep track of all this. If you're a blank filler, you can come to me later and figure it out. Uh, God's brand of love is inherently rooted in rooting for others. We're, we're, we're cheering for them. We're cheering them on. We want what's best for them. We want God's best for them. Love wants what is best for people all the time. Uh, even your enemies, even your boss, uh, even the weird people, uh, everybody. Love wants what's best for them always. I think you'd agree that there are some people that are hard to love. Um, I don't need, don't yell out any names. Um, I, I remember going to a little training. This was, uh, man, quite a few years ago. Uh, and several of us had gone to this training. It was all about a small group Bible study and how to set up a, a, a life group ministry kind of thing in your church. And, and uh, so they were telling us about the format and the structure and, and how to organize it all and, and, uh, and, and different positions and what they should do and, and all those sorts of things. They gave tips and pointers to leaders in, uh, in uh, uh, how to lead discussions and, and how to ask questions and, and all those kinds of things. And then, uh, and then we came to this section in the outline. It was simply entitled EGRs, EGRs. And uh, the instructor there in that, in that training explained that um, in most groups, there are usually one or two people uh, who are maybe a little different or just maybe rub people the wrong way and some and maybe they always dominate the conversation or or uh, they're a little belligerent at times or they play devil's advocate all the time and they kind of get into that or they're always focused on their their own agenda and 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 a lot of times their comments kind of seem to come out of left field and take you by surprise and all those sorts of things and and so so uh, she said that, that in in their uh, uh, little little deal in their setup they just called these folks EGRs extra grace required these are the extra grace. Re- Do you have any EGRs in your life? Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand so fast, but uh, um, pretty sure we all have some EGRs in our in our in our lives, and I'm pretty sure that you are an EGR for at least one other person. All right, it's it just that's just kind of how it how it happens, uh, and maybe that's what marriage is all about. No, I'm just kidding. Um, in this, in this series, I think we should probably call it ELRs, extra love required, uh, because we don't get an out. We don't get to just say, oh, those, that's harder to love that person, so I'm not going to do it. Love is always rooting for the good of the people in your life. And, and I think then that that takes us back to verse 6, where we're going to spend the rest of our, our time today. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. That tells me that there's a moral element to love, uh, that it matters what we love. Does that make sense? That, 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 that love, there, there's some morality involved there, that, 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 that love doesn't spend time with evil, but it rejoices with the truth. Uh, there's there's this, this moral thing going on. Now, first off, I, I think as we look at that, um, when I looked at that, I'm going, okay, it kind of throws this, this phrase in here in verse 6, and it, and it says that evil and truth are opposites. 
setting that up, right? And that seems a little weird to me because I don't necessarily, at the top of the head, don't necessarily think that, that evil and truth are necessarily opposites. Uh, it, you know, it might be, uh, you know, truth and, and dishonesty, and it might be evil and righteousness, and then you kind of get into some of the, uh, the, the, in thinking through some of these things, and you realize that, that they really are kind of opposites. I mean, truth and righteousness are always linked in, in Scripture. Jesus even said that he, one of the, his names was truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, uh, the, the righteous, holy, this is the right, the true. Uh, we're talking about things that are true. And so, uh, if we're talking about, you know, it doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices in righteousness, we could probably think about it that way. Or if we go the other way, and uh, it, sin is many times associated with, uh, with lies and deception. Actually, uh, uh, most of the time at its core, there, I mean, all, all uh, it, uh, these things are linked. And Jesus even called the devil in, uh, in John chapter 8. He says, there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so uh, we could say that uh, love does not delight in lies, but rejoices in the truth. Uh, it, it all is kind of uh, woven together here in this, in this tapestry of uh, it matters what we love. Love doesn't delight in evil, it rejoices with the truth. Don't love the evil stuff, love the good stuff. I guess another way to say it is love avoids lies and enjoys truth. Love avoids lies and enjoys truth. If we're going to have any shot at living out this, this perfect godly love described in 1 Corinthians 13, it will only be as we allow ourselves to be filled with God's Holy Spirit. Uh, he is the one that's loving through us, but we can't do that. We can't be filled with God's Holy Spirit if we're dabbling in and enjoying, if we're delighting in the lies and deception of sin. I've noticed something, and, and, um, and you probably have too, Maybe I'm the only one, I don't know. Sin, can I say, uh, sin is fun. Have you, can you testify to that? Okay, I, I didn't think you would. I guess I'm the only one because you guys haven't sinned um, and uh, no. Sin is fun. I, I mean, sometimes it even appears delightful, right? Uh, uh, that we're delighting in these things and uh, it, it's fun until it's not because that's part of the, the twist or the deception. Um, in Hebrews, Moses is said to have, have, have chosen to follow God instead of enjoying, quote, the fleeting pleasures of sin. I mean, that's the lie wrapped up in sin. It, it seems like it's awesome and great and wonderful, but it doesn't end well. And there's a, there's a twist. There's always a consequence. It's a perversion of the truth. Truth, on the other hand, is absolute reality. It's the reality of God. It's, it's how things really are. And we, we get a glimpse of ultimate reality when we follow God and his spirit guides our lives. And, and he's guiding us not, uh, not uh, by what we see sometimes, but by his reality, what we don't always see with our eyes, but we trust him. And so he leads us into living holy lives, into living uh, in righteousness, to living all out for him, to rejoicing in the things that are true with a capital T, right? We're, we're we're enjoying, uh, rejoicing in uh, those, those things that are true. The holy things of God are the truths that last for eternity. They're not fleeting pleasures where sin leads us. So we have to ask, if we read this line, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, what am I delighting in? What are you delighting in? The fleeting pleasures of sin 
or eternal truth. And maybe not participating in sin, because that would, you know, the church crowd, you wouldn't do that. You're just, you're just watching other people sin on TV, right? So that's, that makes it all right, all right okay, right? If we're going to live, if we're going to love like God wants us to love, we won't be delighting in sinful things. I think we'd all do well to, uh, to, to post, there's a, there's a verse that I think we could post maybe next to our television or next to our computer screen or maybe you tattoo it on the hand that you use to scroll with on your phone. Philippians 4.8, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. (laughs) One of the most loving things that you can do for the people in your life is to make sure that you are walking in the truth yourself, that you are fixing your attention on these good things, what is true, and honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable, things that are excellent and worthy of praise. One of the most loving things that you can do for the other people in your life is to make sure that you are on track in rejoicing in the truth yourself. Don't delight in evil. Don't fall for the lies of sin. Don't secretly enjoy those fleeting pleasures. Love the things that God loves. Each of us is different, and we're all um, we're all tempted by 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 different things that is stray away from the from the truth of God. And we could uh, we could start talking about all kinds of sins. I remember several years ago, man, it's been several years ago now that we uh, I preached a, a series on the uh, uh, the the seven deadly sins. There's a whole lot more than seven, let me tell you. But uh, but but we uh, we talked about uh, a lot of those different things that uh, that that have been highlighted in years gone by of, of these these. So and some some were you know some of you are drawn to, towards certain things and other. But we're all tempted with certain things. That if but if we're fixing our attention on the things of God, things that are true and right and honorable and and uh, worthy of praise, if we're fixing our attention on those things, we'll be less drawn toward the things that that tempt us. It's kind of like the guy, the, 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 the farmer who went to the doctor and said, Doc, I broke my arm in two places. And the doctor said, well, then stay out of them places. If we're focused on the things of God, we're not in the places where we're, it's so easy to be tempted into the lies of sin. Stay out of them places. Fix your thoughts on the truth, on the good things of God. There's, um, again, there's a there's hundred different uh, applications to this depending on who you are and what you're tempted with and all those kinds of things. I think one huge example of the way that sin twists the good things of God is something that seems to be rampant both inside and outside of the church, and, uh, and that's the issue of pornography. Uh, the statistics continue to rise with the increasing availability of, uh, of porn. And, and with a couple of clicks, uh, you can be exposed and then drawn in. And, and, uh, and, and it's uh, not even, if you're not even looking for it, it can just come and, come and find you. And that is a twisting of God's gift of, of sexuality. This past week, I, I told our, our group this morning, this past week I uh, had the privilege of presenting information at, uh, about healthy relationships at, at Highland High School. And a couple of different uh, days uh, to three different class periods, and, and uh, I've done that a couple of times now through, by, uh, by, uh, uh, through representing uh, Oasis of Hope. 
the, uh, a ministry that we support here at the church, and, and specific, specifically presenting information curriculum uh, related to uh, the, the dangers of abusive relationships and, and the warning signs and, and, uh, and, and how to avoid those things, how to not be a, 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 in a, stay in an abusive relationship, how not to be an abuser, and, and talked about a, a whole lot of stuff there. One of, the, one of the stats, one of the slides that comes up in that curriculum as I'm presenting, uh, one of those points is that, uh, that 90% of teenage girls report dealing with some form of sexual harassment. And um, I think one huge factor in that is, uh, is the high rate of uh, the use of pornography. And um, it, it's also interesting, there's another statistic that says 90% of teenage guys have been exposed to pornography by, the age, by age 12 or earlier. 90% 90 per, it may just be a coincidence, but uh, I, I kind of went off script. Uh, I wasn't in the notes, but I took the opportunity to, uh, as, uh, to confront the, uh, the, the, that, that, that habit and highlight the, the ways that that can cause problems in our relationships. If, if we're entertaining ourselves by watching women portrayed as objects intended for our pleasure then it's not, no surprise that we'll treat them without the dignity and respect that they deserve. And, and, and I, I told that to the class and, and, uh, and, and said, you know, it's not just a male problem, but it's probably, a, it's, it's mainly a male problem, especially related to this statistic. 90% of, of, of the girls in this class, uh, w- would probably, uh, say that they've endured some form of sexual harassment and, and, uh, and, and guys, that's our problem. That's not their problem. And we need to, we need to, uh, uh, treat them with the respect and dignity that, that they deserve. And one thing that keeps us from doing that is if we're dabbling in this, this whole issue of pornography. It was, it was funny, it wasn't funny, but um, during, during that part of this, it was, the, it was the quietest in that room, any class, all three classes, it was the quietest that it had been through the whole thing, maybe like it is here, I don't know. Um, the statistics are that about two-thirds of Christian men have viewed pornography within the past month, and 15% of Christian women have. And that's within the church, and I think we can agree that the lie of lust in pornography is a perversion of the truth of love expressed in sexual intimacy. Pornography directly affects our ability to be others-focused, and it instead delights on our own pleasure, right? And, and, and that's not love. That's not, uh, it, it's not on the list that we've been walking through, <laughs> It's lust, it's a lie, it's a perversion of the truth, and it will keep you from loving like God. Love does not delight in evil, in lies, in deception, in perversions. Love rejoices with truth. If that's a struggle for, uh, for, for any of you, um, man, give me a call, shoot me a text. Uh, I have... Uh, I, over the years in ministry, have uh, met with more than one person uh, uh, at different times who have struggled with this, and we've, we've uh, combated it together, and, and I'm more than willing to, to, to try to help you in that. That's just one example of so many things that, uh, that where we trade the truth of God for a lie, and we settle for sin. <laughs> I, w- I want you to catch this today. You cannot... Love like God while you are settling for sin. You cannot love like God wants you to love if you are settling for sin in your life. 
So this verse speaks to ourselves individually. We need to make sure that we are uh, morally where we need to be, not delighting in evil, but rejoicing in the truth. Uh, and, and we need to be free from the perversions of sin. Uh, but, but we also uh, need to not support uh, sin in the lives of the people around us. And so not only does, does love uh, avoid lies and uh, rejoice in truth ourselves, but we love confronts lies and encourages truth in our relationships. Confrontation, that sounds fun, right? We all love a good confrontation. Some of you are better at it than others um, from your notes. No, I'm just kidding. I don't get any of that. Uh, We're not very good at that. I'm not very good at that. We tend to go from one extreme to the other in confrontation, right? Uh, People either shy away from it completely because it might make somebody angry and I don't want anybody to be mad at me and and so I'm just kind of put up with it and and just go with the flow. Or it's the other side, uh, where we um, we get judgmental, right, and condemning, and we uh, shake our finger in the in the face of those wicked, evil, pagan sinners who should know better, and and we're not going to put up with it, doggone it, right? And so we we uh, we're e- usually we're either on one extreme or the other. We're either just uh, you know kind of wimpy about it all and 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 not saying anything, or we come off as uh, as judgmental. Neither one of those, I, I believe, neither one of those uh, approaches, uh, neither one of those things embodies uh, God's kind of love. Because love, I think, lives in the tension of, uh, of grace and truth together at the same time. It, it's popular today to say, uh, maybe you've said it and that's, that's fine if you have, but uh, it sounds pretty harmless, maybe even a little noble on the surface. There's this phrase going around these days, you do you. You heard that before? Oh, just, you know, maybe somebody's acting a little crazy and you're not going to go along with it, but you're not going to condemn them for it. Say, ah, you know, you do you. Just do whatever, you know. Maybe somebody has a wild idea or, or uh, uh, you know, you don't want to put them down. Uh, you don't want to, uh, uh, you know, put the kibosh on what they're doing. So, so you just, ah, you go for it. You do you. And that sounds noble and that sounds great. And, and at times it's fine. Uh, you know, we're not, we're not finger pointing. We're not condemning. Uh, but what if that person what they were doing, if they're doing them, what if that, what they were doing went against the truth of God? What if you knew that it would be harmful for them in the long run? Uh, would love sit by and let them live in the sin, sinful habits and behaviors and delighting in evil instead of rejoicing in truth? Or would love say something? Two preachers were standing uh, uh, beside a, a mountain road holding two signs. And one sign said, turn around before it's too late. And the other sign said, the end is near. And a car came around that corner and, and uh, passed the two preachers holding those signs. And the driver saw him but just kept on going and shook his fist out the window and said, get out of the way, you religious fanatics. And then a few moments later, from around the bend, there was the sound of screeching tires and breaking glass and the crunch of metal and a splash. And one preacher said to the other, should we just change our sign to say bridge out? Do you, do you think maybe, I know that's a stupid joke, but those guys, no matter, they didn't necessarily have it down right, but they cared enough to try to pass along the truth 
In that case, bridge is out. It's dangerous. There's danger up ahead. You need to watch out. Hey, it's not just you do you and whatever happens, happens. Hey, I care enough about you. I love you enough to try to stop. We seem to be living in a time much like that in the, uh, in the book of Judges in the Old Testament. Maybe you've read that. Uh, there, there, because there was no king, there was no ultimate authority on what was right and what was wrong. And so it says, in more than one place in the book of Judges, it says, everyone did as they saw fit. The translation I memorized back as a, as a, a younger person, uh, everything did that, everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. There wasn't a king telling them what was right and what was wrong, so everyone did as they saw fit. I think, I think there's a whole bunch of people today who are just doing as they see fit because they don't think there's a king who determines what's right and what's wrong. If there's no God, or if maybe there's some deity out there somewhere uh, but he doesn't really care about stuff going on here, then, then, I mean, then I can do whatever I want. Then I'm determining what's, what's truth. It comes down to who is defining truth. As a, as a follower of Jesus, um, I want to do my best to, uh, to know what truth is. We've just spent the last uh, six or seven weeks on Sunday morning in the, the, uh, the new life track sessions that we, we're talking about spiritual disciplines, getting to know God, these things, these habits that we can put in place so that we can, uh, so that we can um, know God more. And uh, some of us are drawn to, to certain things more than others, but, but at the center of, of those things is, uh, is the word of God and prayer. So as, a, as a follower of Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the Bible and I'm going to talk to him and I'm going to let him evaluate how I'm doing at living out the truth, right? Because I believe that God is the one who says, is the ultimate authority on what is true, what is right and what is wrong, what is truth and what is evil, uh, what is truth and what is lie or deception. And so when I, when I see his truth uh, live being lived out in my life, then that's a great thing. If I, if I see as I reflect and I allow him to uh, examine me and there's something that's a little off, I'm going to do whatever I can to make things, uh, get things back on track personally. But then as I, as I see his truth being lived out in other people, that's something to rejoice about, right? I'm excited about that. When, when I see people, however, living as they see fit, defining their own truth and being deceived by the lies of sin, I shouldn't be delighting in that. That's that's not exciting to me. That's sad. It grieves me, or it should, if I'm living in love, because love doesn't delight in evil. It rejoices with the truth. If you, only, if, if you truly love the people in your life, you will be grieved by their sin and rejoice in their righteousness. And sometimes... I know, oh man, there's a whole lot of nuance into this and it's probably a, a discussion that, that, that has to happen to talk through and, and each situation is different, but sometimes that means that you'll have to do some confronting. Proper confrontation, I think, is all about motive. Why are you confronting? Uh, is, is it because you're irritated or angry or frustrated? Uh, oh, it just gets on my nerve. I can't believe that those, these sinful people are, you know. Maybe you want to expose them so you look better and they, well, they're, you know, I'm not as bad as that. None of those things are reasons to confront. If, if your motive is to help and not to hurt because you love them, then you're well on your way to godly confrontation. 
Paul wrote a couple of letters to, uh, to the Corinthians. So there's a church, there's a city called Corinth, and he wrote these letters, First and Second Corinthians. Some scholars even think there's another letter somewhere that we don't have a copy of. But uh, none of these letters uh, are necessarily happy and yippy-skippy, exciting. And fi- I mean, he's confronting a lot of stuff. I mean, there's... there's uh, all, all sorts of things. It goes from uh, what, what, they're, uh, what they're delighting in, uh, things that they're eating or not eating that they shouldn't be, uh, sexual sin uh, inside the church, uh, it's, uh, relational, I mean, inset. I mean, it was, it's a lot of stuff. And, and Paul uh, cared about them enough to confront these things. In 2 Corinthians 12, we catch a glimpse of that because he talks about why he wrote that. He says, uh, he wrote it not to harm them, but he says, in everything we do, dear friends, it's for your strengthening. Love is rooting people on, remember? So, so we want God's best for them. And, and so that means that we might have to confront. We, uh, everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. Even if it's a hard thing uh, at the time. Even it me- if it means confronting something that somebody doesn't want to deal with. Love at times, confronts. And I'm not saying that it's easy. <laughs> it, it certainly doesn't come naturally. Uh, maybe to some personality types more than others, but, but, but if you want to build deep relationships, there will be some confrontation. Uh, there will be some hard conversations. Usually you only go through with this in relationships where you, where you really want to be close. Uh, because it, it deepens the relationship. If, if, if you want to just keep things superficial, then, then you're not going to have that hard conversation. It, it doesn't really matter that much to you. But if, if you truly want to have that, we, we confront the people we want to be the closest to. Years ago, <laughs> um, I don't think any of these folks are still around, uh, around here, but uh, we were starting a couple of groups, and one of the groups, we were given a couple of options, and people were signing up for what group they were going to join, and, and one of them was all about going deeper in your marriage. And um, after a couple weeks, nobody had signed up for that group. So I asked a few people why uh, maybe they, they, and the, you know, I don't remember exact words, but the gist of the responses that I got was something along the lines of, you know what, I put up with him or her for this long, why really ruffle anything? Um, I don't really want to, you know... I mean, they honestly, <laughs> the gist that I got was that they honestly didn't want to get any closer in their relationship with their spouse. It was fine. That was fine. Yeah, there's some stuff that we probably, yeah, but you know what? Let's just leave well enough alone. We'll just, I, I think it probably went back to not wanting to confront or deal with some things that might make the other person angry. But through that process of confrontation and conversation and, and talking it out, that, uh, that we can really reach a whole new level of intimacy uh, it, with the right motives, uh, that's, that's where it leads. Especially as it relates to uh, putting up with sin and the twisting of the truth, uh, real love confronts. It's not about shaming someone, but it's about aiming them toward the truth. Proverbs 10.10 says, People who wink at wrong cause trouble, but a bold reproof promotes peace. Ephesians 4.15, Instead, we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Just like the the fact that we can't delight in sin in our own lives, uh, we can't delight in someone else's sin either. Uh, We have to love people enough to tell them the truth. Real love doesn't say you do you (laughs) to sin. 
confronts. It speaks the truth, but not in a judgmental, condemning way. We, we have to hold that tension of truth and love at the same time. Jesus is described as being full of grace and truth, and he's the ultimate picture of this. I think the, uh, the best story that illustrates that that, that, uh, uh, that I can think of is when Jesus is teaching and uh, some holier-than-thou guys uh, uh, break into the meeting that they're having and, and they're dragging along this woman that they caught sleeping around and threw her in there and they're ready to stone her and they ask Jesus what they should do and he said that famous line, uh, he who is without sin cast the first stone, right? And so... One by one, it says, starting with the oldest ones first, who were probably wiser, recognized that none of us are sinless, and so they dropped their stones and they left. And when everybody had gone, Jesus asked the woman, what, is no one here to condemn you? And she said, nobody. And he said, neither do I condemn you. And we could stop right there and say, well, Jesus is soft on sin, and he doesn't care what we do. We can do whatever we want. Uh, Jesus doesn't condemn her for sleeping around. Except that he didn't stop there. He said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. He loved her right where she was. And he loved her enough to know that there was a better way to live. And so he spoke to her. Now it's up to her. We don't have any record whether she went and left her life of sin or not. But, but we, uh, uh, some have, have hinted at, at, that that might be uh, this or that character that we do know. We don't know that. But Jesus cared enough to confront the sin in a loving, gracious way. Yeah, this is wrong. But not because I'm going to condemn you for it. This is wrong because it doesn't lead anywhere good. It's, it's delighting in evil. It's, it's, it's delighting in something that doesn't end well. This is a perversion of truth. <laughs> Come on, it doesn't end well. Uh, the people that if we love somebody the way God wants us, wants us to love them, we don't want them to be just enjoying the pleasures of the fleeting pleasures of sin. We want them to rejoice in truth. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Lord, I just pray as we've talked about love and sin and truth and righteousness and evil and all those things, Lord, I just pray that you'll help us to let you inspect our lives. Lord, there, there could be some things in our lives that don't please you, and we've kind of just been pushing them off to the side and, 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 and putting up with them. Or maybe there's somebody that comes to mind that, that we love with all of our hearts and we just can see them going, uh, going in a direction that's not helpful or, or holy. I pray that you would guide our interactions with those folks. Lord, forgive us, cleanse us, purify us from all unrighteousness. Help us not to rejo- rejoice or delight in evil, but to have joy in the truth. Lord, I pray that no matter what, as we go from this place, we can go uh, living out your brand of love to everyone, <laughs> that we can be rooting for the people in our lives, that, that we can have an influence to point them toward you. Lord, I pray that, we can, that you would open up our hearts and our minds uh, to see the opportunities that are before us, to see how you want to use us this week to bring your love to the relationships in our lives. 
Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word that brings so much uh, clarity. I pray that, that we wouldn't just leave this place uh, and, and leave your message behind, but that it would bounce around in our heads all day and all week, and that we would do what you're leading us to do to make sure that we are rejoicing in your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.